Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Focus on the main thing. The main thing is He is coming. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of God. Please be seated. The theme of Revelation is this. We're in this verse today. Behold, he is coming. The king is coming. Hip, hip, hooray. Can't wait. Now, last week we talked about the blessings of of studying the book of Revelation. And it it comes to those who really study the book, not a cursory read through the book, but study the book. Remember, the blessing is this, to be fully satisfied with life. Makarios, to be fully satisfied. There's another Greek word called Eulogio, that means to speak well of somebody. That's another word for blessing. This is Markarios, fully satisfied. We'll be fully satisfied knowing what is coming and that there is a relief for what is coming, and that is Jesus Christ. The blessing here. Can we really have blessings here? Is it really possible to live on this earth in blessing, to be fully satisfied with this life? And I would say yes, with the provision. The provision is this, if we dwell in Christ, if we make our home in Christ, if we abide in Christ, it's the only way. It's not for cursory Christians. It's not half in and half out. You'll never have joy here if you're going to be a carnal, half in, half out Christian. It does not work. The attended recipients of this book were the servants, the bond servants of Jesus Christ. And he had a specific message to a specific people that Jesus Christ is coming, but before he comes, All this stuff is going to happen in the book of Revelation. His servants are to watch and be ready. To watch and be ready for what? For the signs of his coming. And to not be deceived as we are waiting for his coming. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 24, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. One of the things that will mark the epochs of the end time, the end time epoch, will be this. Deception, deception, deception. It will come at you wave after wave after wave. So a characteristic of a witness is not to be deceived, to watch and be ready, and to stand fast and not be moved or intimidated by the culture that we're living in. To not blend with the culture, not give in to what the culture is saying is right, but to stand fast, to be a voice of sanity in an insane world. And I'll tell you that your words matter and your life matters. A lot, the reason I say that is a lot of people say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't use my words, but I live for Christ. And I tell you, the Scripture always tells us to use our words, to be appropriate. I mean, to have the Holy Spirit open the door for you, but to use our words and to use our lives, both are important. That they actually see Jesus Christ being lived out in us. One of the worst things that you can do is use your words <laughs> and then live like the world. They call that a what? A hypocrite. And people disdain hypocrites. So there's a blessing associated with the book of Revelation. Those who read it, those who hear it, and those who 
keep. Remember that keep was the word tarot, to keep watch. To keep watch and know what is coming, to be prepared, to identify the signs of the times. And remember, we're living in a culture that is an amazing amount of pressure to compromise our worldview, to compromise your biblical values. It is, it is very heavy today. For those young people that are 15 to 20 years old, all they have known is this constant barrage of indoctrination and half-truth and lies that are being, they're being per, just pummeled with on a continual basis. The pressure to compromise, particularly for Christians, their biblical beliefs is enormous, is enormous. To accept all worldviews is true. This is what you get on college campuses. Every, every view is true. And it, it, can that be true? Let me, let's, let's examine that for just a second. Recall what a worldview is. A worldview is the lens in which one looks through to determine what is true and what is not. That's what a worldview is. Now, we went through uh, what determines or helps us determine what a worldview is. Our theology, our study of God, our doctrine, our teachings about God will determine our worldview. Our worldview will then determine what our values are, and our values will then determine how we conduct ourselves in this world. It's a, it's a, there's, there's a sequence of events. Now, a principle to guide you when you're thinking about worldviews, can all worldviews be true? And the answer to that question is no, because they are all different. There's, a, there's one truth. They're all different. And, and, and what we've learned is this. Contradict, contradictory views are mutually exclusive. They cannot all be true. They can all be wrong. Again, it's up to the person to discover what truth really is. Consider the following worldviews. All but Christianity. Every worldview except Christianity has a false view of Jesus Christ. All world religions... And all cults have a false view of Jesus. Think about atheism. Atheism is a worldview. There is no God. This thing just poofed, came into existence. I mean, you have to have a lot of faith to believe that, don't you? It just poofed. It just appeared. Something came out of nothing. And atheists don't believe that Christ died for your sins. Hinduism, there's literally thousands of gods. This became very popular with the Beatles. And in Hinduism, in Eastern mysticism, Christ is a wise teacher in Hinduism. He's just one another avatar. Islam, by the way, means submission to Allah. And one who is a Muslim is one who submits to Allah. Now, they, they do believe in one God, so it's one of the monotheistic religions. Christianity, Judaism, and, and Islam are monotheistic. But Allah is not the same as Jehovah. They are not the same gods. They are very different. They are very different. And in Islam, Christ is a prophet lower than Muhammad. Buddhism, the concept of God, is ignored altogether. That reality is an illusion, and the goal is nirvana. Oh, we're just going to become one with the universe. And Christ is a wise teacher. Now, Hollywood loves Buddhism. Oh, they just, they just suck Buddhism up like you can't believe. I'm a Buddhist. I'm, you know, Buddhism is big there. Judaism, there's one God, Yahweh or Jehovah. They're true. That's a, that they would be correct on that. But they believe that Jesus Christ is a false Messiah. So that would be false. In Christianity, of course, there's one God. We believe in, in, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the creator. We believe in the Savior of the world. The second person of the Trinity came to this earth to die for our sins. 
so that we can have access to a holy God. He took our sin debt upon himself, and one day Jesus Christ is coming again. That is Christianity, to establish his kingdom on this earth. So Christianity is the only world view out of all of them. I just gave you just a handful. There's, all, there's a plethora of world views. It is the only worldview that has a risen Savior who died for our sins. And by the way, the resurrection was confirmed by eyewitness testimony. Hundreds, hundreds of people saw the resurrected Jesus. And by the way, it changed their lives. It changed their lives. They went from running to conquerors. They went from scared to death, cowards to conquerors. When you're pressured to compromise your biblical worldview, and you will be, particularly now, we are living in a culture that there's lots of things leveraged upon you to compromise a biblical worldview. When the cries of you being an intolerant hater, because you're a Christian, you're an intolerant hater. Has anyone ever heard that? Just nod your head or say, give me a little affirmation. I have heard that. I think you probably have heard that. Because we're so narrow-minded. When your urge to bend or to move comes upon you, remember, we stand fast in the faith. Remember the, bl the, the bull in the blizzard. I love this. You're going to probably see this a dozen times because I love this guy. He stands here and he doesn't, look at this, he is stubborn. I am not moving. You will not move me. I believe Jesus is coming. I don't care how much you try to throw at me. The bull in the blizzard, like millions of before you, stand fast and don't be moved. Folks, you're on the right path. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this. Remember this, watch. And I did this before. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let everything you do be done in love. Stand fast in the faith. Hold on. This week, our focus is going to be the main thing. He is coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word that you've given us. This is the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Thy word is truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And right now I ask that the spirit of truth will open our eyes and our minds to the truth of what you have to share with us today. Speak to us things that we need to know. And what we learn, may we apply in Jesus' name. Amen. So just an introduction. He is coming. This, is, this has been something, uh, the Christian uh, belief for, for epochs of time, from the very beginning. He's coming. He's coming. Paul believed he's coming. John believed he's coming. He's coming all through the history of, of Christendom. But it engenders different feelings in different people. Look at There's the people that look at us who believe he's coming as, oh, you're crazy. Oh, you're the crazy group. You mean you actually believe in a cosmic invasion from space? They'll believe in all kinds of demons and all kinds of other worlds, but they won't believe that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is actually coming to earth? You, you believe that? And they look at us in abject disbelief. How can anybody believe such a thing? Impossible. You're in a crazy group, Rick. I can't believe you really believe that. There's that group that looks at us that way. Then there's the all-about-me group. This is the group, can be believers or unbelievers, that, you know, whether you believe Jesus is coming or not, a lot of people say, well, if you're going to come, don't come now, okay, because I have plans. 
Well, I want to get to college. I get a new car coming up. I'm going on a trip really soon. Don't come until the trip is done. Whatever you do, it's the all about me crowd, me, myself, and I. And I'll tell you, I was raised in the generation that started the me, myself, and I. You think you had to come out of something? I had to come out of something, just like you have to come out of something. Indoctrination. And then there's the final group, the can't wait for Jesus to come group. That's the group that at least I'm in. I hope you are too. A few who actually get it. These are the true believers not anchored in this world. The true believers who really see this as us being aliens and strangers here. We don't quite fit in because we don't belong here. This isn't our home. We've got something else we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to crowd. Expectly waiting Jesus to come and establish his kingdom where things will be done his way. Not the usual way of planet Earth. Be done his way. Just think about this. What will Jesus' kingdom bring? What will his kingdom bring? No more chaos. No more disease. No more sickness, poverty, drought, famine, pestilence. How about fights? Fights. There's no more fight. Earthquakes, war, depression, anxiety, governments who exploit their people. No more false worship of false gods. No more same-o, same-o of earth. When Jesus comes, everything will be different, and it will be right. This is what the can't wait group has to look forward to. Today we will hear what John writes to fellow servants of Christ, a message to the seven churches, which, by the way, he is in the midst of. He is in the midst of. He's right here, right now, in the midst of his church. A message of hope for all time, a message directed at you today. Keep your focus on the main thing. It's a lifesaver living in this culture. Keep your focus on the main thing. He is coming. We start it with chapter 1, verses 4 and 5a. God's grace and peace are available to you even now while you're here. Watch this. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, when it says to the seven churches, This is very specific because these seven churches identify all the churches throughout the ages. You'll be able to identify with one of these churches, these seven churches. There is much, much, many more churches in John's time than these seven. But these identify what each type will be like. Then he says, grace to you and peace from him. He's talking about Father, who is and who was and who is to come. And then from the seven spirits, which I believe is the Holy Spirit, who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. The triunity of God sends you, his church, his peace and his grace. The promise is from God to you, his servants. From him, the Father. From the seven spirits, the Holy Spirit. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. We see here a picture of the Trinity. Now, most people have no idea what the Trinity is. And it's very difficult to explain. It's not an easy concept, but we have something to help us here. You've seen this triangle before. We've been through this. We've seen something very similar to this. And what we see here is the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. These are separate persons within the Godhead, all of them 
would be God, a triune God, singularity God, three persons in the Godhead. Not easy to understand. Maybe the next slide will help you. These are intertwined circles, and I think there's an overlap in the Trinity. When you see some things ascribed to Jesus, you'll see the same thing ascribed to the Father or to the Holy Spirit. There seems to be an overlap of this. So we have Jesus Christ, the Son, the Father, the Holy Spirit. We have this integrated circular thing that overlaps. They are distinct in their subsistence. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have the same substance. They are God. There is unity in the Godhead. There is equal persons in the Godhead. So the Trinity is a very important concept. It is important to have some idea of what the Trinity is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, the important thing is the whole Godhead here is saying, is, is giving you something that is available to you from God. Grace and peace are available to you, but listen to this. You must appropriate it. You must receive it. God places it out there. It is for you, but you must receive it. Grace is the word charis, where we get a word charismatic or charisma. Grace is defined as an unearned favor which is freely bestowed and includes everything that Jesus Christ is or has made available to us. Another guy put it this way. I like this. Through his grace, the Lord also enables those who live his gospel to repent and be forgiven. You can't, you can't repent and even be forgiven without the grace of God coming to you first. Grace is a gift from Heavenly Father given through his Son, Jesus Christ. The word grace is used in the Scriptures refers primarily to the enabling power and spiritual healing offered through the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. Kind of a lengthy definition, but it's his grace that he gives us that allows us to live out this Christian life. We can't do this without God's grace. He initiates it. And listen to this. God's grace must not be received in vain. Must not be in vain. It must be appropriated to be effective. Grace must be appropriated to be effective. Hear what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me, now listen to this, was not prove vain. It was not kinos. It was not empty. It was not hollow. It was of no benefit. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. 2 Corinthians 6.1 gives us another view of this. We then as workers with him also plead with you. See, our job as witnesses is to plead with people to know who Jesus Christ is, to receive the gift of salvation. We plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, empty, hollow, of no benefit. And that receive is in the active voice in the Greek. It means the subject performs the action of the verb. We are to receive the gift. Paul appropriated the grace of God that was given to him. We are given the grace to be saved and the grace to live out this life with the favor of God. Both must be appropriated. 
God offers his grace. We can't come to him without his grace. It is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. We don't come up with this. It is God that graces us. God pours his grace out. But we can stiff arm him and say, no, I don't want that. Not now, God. I'll take it some other time. It's not up to you. It's his time. It's the same with peace. Peace is given to us by God. God initiates peace with humanity. God is always the initiator in the relationship with humans. It is never the human that wants God. It is always God coming to us. There's none that seeks after God, says in Romans chapter 3. When we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have peace with God when we're saved. Now let me say that again. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we then have peace with God. This is an important concept because most people don't understand this. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not speaking of peaceful calm or serenity, but a cessation of war with God. Did you hear that? We are looked at as enemies of God at war with God. Again, people don't really understand this. And I would say, what do you mean by that? At war with God, enemies with God. You really believe that? Well, if you would, turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. Watch this. Humanity is at war with God, enemies of God. Verse 10, 5 verse 10. For if, when we were enemies, that if is a first class conditional if. If and it is so. It is so. If and it is so, or since we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Reconciled means brought into right relationship with God. The only way is through Jesus Christ, not Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, any ism. Only Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ, okay? So if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, again, right relationship with him, we shall be saved by his life, the risen Savior. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Again, it has to be received. That is an active process that we receive the reconciliation. So when we are Outside of Christ, we are looked at as enemies of God. Humans that don't come to Christ will experience the wrath of God. This is not something that God wants. He wants people to be at peace with him, so he sent his son, he sent himself here, the second person of the Trinity, to die for us so that we could be reconciled to him, brought back in right relationship with him. Very important concept. The only way a human can be at peace with God is through believing in his Son. Once we are saved, we have the peace of God to live through the tumult of this world. Let me say that again. Once we're saved, we have peace with God, but we also have the peace that God gives us to live through the mess of this life. We don't have to live in a churning state constantly. Listen to what Jesus says. In John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. Now, Jesus always tells the truth, doesn't he? I leave this with you. 
My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. The world has nothing like this to give. Do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. That is our job. Our job as believers is to let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. We have to appropriate this peace. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Isn't that a qualifier? You may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's a promise. You want to claim a promise? Everybody wants to claim a promise? Well, this is one right here. You will have tribulation. That's a guarantee from Jesus. But be of good cheer. Why? Because he says, I have overcome the world. And by implication, anyone that believes in him can overcome through his strength this world system. All the things thrown at you. His grace and peace are adequate. Folks, listen to this. Nothing can happen to you that you cannot handle if you remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and appropriate his all-sufficient supply of grace and peace. It is there. And Jesus says, take it. You don't have to live in this churning, tumult, worry, anxiety. You don't have to bite your fingernails down to the quick and go, oh, Jesus, this is so terrible here. We can have peace in spite of this world that we're living in. It is available. Now look at, think about this. There's many unexpected intrusions that come into our lives at the strangest times, most unwelcome times. They're inconvenient. And how many times have you been blindsided by something off the wall? Blindsided by, I call these, peace stealers and tumult creators. These are shocks to our spirits, unwelcome intruders. Now, instead of a pity party, Look, at when an unwelcome intruder comes to me, I want to go, oh, gloom and despair, it's coming in on me. Pity party, God's not into that. Instead of why now and why me, dig in your shoes, and like the bull in the blizzard, don't be moved by the circumstances. And think about this. Anybody that's ever lived on this earth has had peace dealers and tumult creators come into their lives. Every one of us has experienced the same kind of crud. When these peace dealers and tumult creators come, the Holy Spirit, we see the sevenfold spirit here, will give you the strength to stand. Remember, he is your paracolito in John 14. Jesus said, if I go, I will send another one, just like me to you, a paracolito, your comforter, your encourager, your strengthener that'll allow you to make it through this thing called life on planet Earth. He'll give you the strength to stand strong. And then, and then you can experience the grace and the peace of God which passes all understanding. I would say this is good news. The same, now listen to this, the same Holy Spirit power that rested on Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, is available to you today. In Isaiah chapter 11, we read these words. Now, this is talking about the stem of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. From David, lineage comes Messiah. From that lineage comes Messiah. And watch what he says about this. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots out of the roots of Jesse, out of David, and so on. 
And watch what happened. He's talking about Jesus Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. When did that happen? At his baptism, when the Holy Spirit fluttered down like a dove and landed on Jesus. And Jesus had every the fullness of the Spirit. And this is a, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. You know what the fear of the Lord is? We've said this like 12,000 times. This is 1201, okay? It is the awesome respect for God, which, by the way, is empty in our culture. There's no awesome respect for God. In most churches, there's no awesome respect for God. There's no honoring God. It certainly isn't in the culture. This same spirit came down on Pentecost on Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and rested upon us and says this, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, dunamis power, the ability to do, and that was to witness throughout all the world. This happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. Folks, this Holy Spirit power is available to us today. Today, as we live out the Spirit-filled life, the empowered life that the Spirit of God offers us to live. There's a whole different paradigm we can live as Christians. We can either live with the power of God, or we can live fearful and be, be afraid of everything that comes down the pike our way. Or we can say, no, I'm standing on the promises of God. As we live out the Spirit-filled life, as we yield our lives to Christ, as we abide in Him, the only way you can do this is abiding in Him. Make your home in Him. It's the only way you can do it. Make our home in We too can walk through the peace dealers and the tumult creators. You believe that? Yes, you do. Let's do it again. Do you believe that? Amen. Thank you. We can walk through these things with the grace of God and the peace of God. This is a promise to you who abide in Christ. And it is true. And I'll tell you, it's great to know that God's grace and peace are available to you. And the question that I have is, why don't we take more advantage of it? Where are we? Why? What is wrong with me? Thinking that I'm, all my worry is going to change anything. doesn't change a thing. Verse 5b, or 5b and 6. It's all about Jesus Christ, our King. Firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, the only way you can be cleansed, his blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is amazing. Now listen to this. We are living in a world today that is controlled to a, to a large extent by Satan. There's a world system here it is under the control of Satan. The world mess, Satan has temporary earthly authority. The Bible actually talks about this. So he's called the prince of this world in John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11. That means he's got power here. He's called the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He's called the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2, who the believer wrestles with in Ephesians 6, 12. He's called the roaring lion in 1 Peter 5.8. And the whole world lies in his power, that's a big statement, in 1 John 5.19. So he has some power here. And he wants to mess 
with you. He wants to mess with your life. He wants to rob you of peace. He wants to rob you of the grace of God, the favor of God, that sense of well-being. He wants to take every, all that away from you. But you have something here. When peace dealers and tumult creators come, five things we need to know. Five things we need to know. We, need to, we know to be true. First of all, Jesus can be trusted. He is a faithful witness. He is a faithful witness. You can depend on him. What he said is true and will happen. Forget what the world says. All the phony baloney, all the smoke and mirrors of the world, all the stuff you see on TV and the internet and all, smoke and mirrors, phony baloney. What Jesus Christ has to reveal to us and is revealing to us in this study can be trusted because Jesus never, ever lies. Jesus is a faithful witness. Jesus is the first to be raised from the dead. Why is that such a big deal? Why is that such a big, be a big deal? It means he's the first to rise and never die again. You know, Lazarus was raised and he died. The widow of Nain's son was raised and he died again. Jairus' daughter raised and she died again. But Jesus was the first one to be raised and never die again. You know why that's important? Because we will be raised and never die again. Death has been overcome. Oh, grave, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus said, if I live, you too shall live. That's his promise to us. That's a big deal. When you start to get a little uncomfortable with what's going on in this world, when the peace dealers come to you, you are going to live forever with Jesus and everything's going to be okay. Number three, Jesus is the ruler over all, over the kings of the earth. Now look at Jesus has sovereign rule over the earth. Temporarily, Satan has usurped some authority. The usurper has come since the garden, and we've had to live through all through this epoch of time, humans dealing with the sin and the consequences of sin, but that's short-lived. That, it, 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 it's going to come to an end. It will come to an end. So when you're in this chaotic, out-of-control, desperate world, remember, ultimately, Jesus is in control. Now, the question is, why doesn't he just make it all right right now? You ever wonder why? Why doesn't he just make this thing all right right now? Why doesn't he come back right now and do it? Well, Peter gives us some insight into this in 2 Peter 3.9. Very famous verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He did it for people to come into the family of God. Aren't you glad that he didn't come before you got saved? I am thrilled that he didn't. Yeah, yes. I'm absolutely ecstatic. His delay is for more people to be saved. The fourth thing is, when you're dealing with peace stealers and tumult creators, remember this, Jesus loved us and he washed us. He took our sins upon himself on the cross. His sacrifice makes us clean. Titus 3.5 says it just wonderfully, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he has saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. He's washed us clean. I'm still, like, filthy. But I'm clean because of Jesus. And I can just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Even when my thoughts get a little crazy, even when I do something that's off, I know that he's washed me and he's cleansed me. I don't have to live with the guilt. I can just confess it and get right with him. 
And Jesus had made us, fifthly, has made us kings and priests, or a kingdom of priests, as it says in the NIV or the New American Standard Bible. Don't underestimate the importance of this. Kings and priests, we will one day reign with Christ. That's a king position. That's an authority position. And we are priests of Christ. We have the ability to come before him at any time. When we get into the kingdom, we have access to the king at any time. Right now, we have access to the king at any time. We can boldly approach the throne of grace, it says in Hebrews 4.16, with our petitions. And remember this, this king shall reign forever and ever. We get to serve him forever and ever. And I love this statement. Believers shall rule and reign with Jesus Christ. We shall oversee and administer the affairs of the universe. Can you believe this? For Christ throughout eternity. All I can say is, wow. Just think of your job in the future. It's not going to be this, oh, I'm so bored. I got to go to work again. I can't believe I hate work. Well, right now, work is a curse. Okay? We struggle, the sweat of our brow, thorns and thistles. Every time we go out into the workplace, thorns and thistles. But it's not going to be that way in the kingdom. It's going to be everything new, everything great, everything wonderful. Folks, when you start feeling a little down, something comes and steals your peace, the tumult comes in, you're, going to, you're a king. And you're going to be a priest. And you're going to have special dispensation with God forever. That's a big deal. Big deal. Verse 7 and 8, Behold, he is coming. And I like to write in there, he really is. He really is. He's coming. Verse 7 and 8. Behold, he is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And then he makes this statement about himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's develop this. Now, first of all, I want you to think about something. How Jesus returns to earth is important. We believe in a rapture of the church, a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. We believe it is described in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. We see that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, very fast, very fast, moment, a twinkling of an eye, the trump of God will sound, the voice of the archangel, very quick, very quick, with Jesus. The second coming of Christ is distinct from the rapture of the church. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, Jesus is taken up into heaven. And remember, he just starts to to levitate and floats up, and his disciples are astounded. And the angels come to him and say, hey, you guys, what are you looking steadfastly into heaven for? Why are you gazing into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner. Jesus went up in the cloud slow. Guess how he's coming? Back in the cloud slow. It is very different than in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed and be with him forever. Two different events. How did Jesus go to heaven? In a cloud slowly. They could see him with their eyes. Again, Acts 1.9. 
How will he return with the clouds slowly and every eye will see him? Matthew 24 gives us some insight into this. Watch what he says. Matthew 24, 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. That's Zechariah 12, 12. All of them will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All the tribes, all of planet earth, somehow is going to see Jesus come back to this earth, just like he went up. He went up in the cloud, the Shekinah of God. He comes down, the Shekinah glory of God in the cloud. Jesus' second coming will be visible and will be victorious, and he will arrive to judge this earth. Verse 8 is, is interesting. The question often asked by all these world religions, not by us because we believe, who is Jesus? And I will say this verse proves that Jesus is sovereign God. He is sovereign God. It says, in verse 8, he says he's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, beginning and end. He's the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Who is and who was and who is to come. He's the Almighty. He's identifying himself as God. That triunity of God, he is God. He is God. He's not simply a prophet. He's not simply a wise teacher. He is God incarnate. Jesus began all things. He will end all things. All things find their purpose and meaning and significance in him. No matter how chaotic this world gets, how disjointed life becomes, it's all under the control of our sovereign God the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole Trinity, the Godhead. And the exhortation is clear. Those who put their trust in Christ, cast their lives upon him, will receive the great gift of his grace and his peace. Revelation 21.6. If you have your Bible, right next to verse 7, you write Revelation 21.6. We see God being identified as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. What's the big deal? Because you can use this as a proof text to show people that Jesus is God. God the Father identifies himself as the Alpha and the Omega. God the Son identifies himself as the Alpha and Omega. These two verses can be used to show Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that Jesus is God. Why is that significant? Because Jehovah's Witnesses believe that he's Michael the Archangel. Mormons believe he's the spirit brother of Lucifer. Islam believes that he's simply a prophet. Hindus believe he's a great teacher, and so do Buddhists. Jesus Christ is God in flesh, God incarnate. Colossians 2.9 says it really, Paul says it really great here. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in him in bodily form. Folks, behold, Jesus is coming. He really is. Don't let the peace dealers and the tumult creators mess your life up here. Closing. Focus on the main thing. He is coming. And when I say focus, I mean focus. Focus. He is coming. Knowing this fact that Jesus is coming will help you to survive and thrive in your short stay in this difficult place called planet Earth. Uh, look, we can, have, we can have wonderful times here. And we can have awful times here. 
And the truth is, as you live through life, it, you will see that, that life here is not so pleasant. There are seasons when it can be great and wonderful, but overall, it's difficult living here in a fallen world, particularly for Christians, because we don't belong here. This is not our home. We're transients. We're just passing through. Many things can disrupt our peace, those peace stealers. The question I want to ask you is this. Do some introspection. Are you afraid of the future? Are you afraid of what's going to happen to you today? Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of spiritual warfare, the enemy? And I would say to you, I'd submit to you, you need not be afraid. Remember this. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The whole spectrum of everything is under his control. From beginning to end and everything in between. And think about this. He is standing in the, right here in the midst of his church. Revelation 1.13 says this. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, and if you read verse 20, you'll know that's the seven churches. One like the Son of Man. He is right there in the midst of his church. He is right here in the midst of us, in the midst of his church. He's standing here and he is coming. Humans are offered grace and peace from the triune God. Ask yourself this question. Is it grace that will endure? Do you have the peace that will endure the test of time? Are you able to put your head on the pillow at night knowing no matter what happens in this world, we are safe? Because we are saved. You ever think about that? Jesus said he came to give you life and life abundantly in John 10.10. That means I don't have to be subject to the peace stealers or the tumult creators. I don't have to walk in that. You must choose to walk out this life with the grace and the peace of God that is available to you. We have to appropriate it. It's a promise that is given to you. The question is this. You really want to walk this out? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you walking in the Spirit? Or are you trying to do it your own way? Do you revert under stress back to old you in an instant? That's the question. See, we can, we can be really strong. When everything is going well, I'm strong. But the minute something happens, do I continue to walk by faith through it? Or do I revert to old me? The speed at which you revert to old me will give you an idea of where you are on your growth ladder. Are you growing, or are you just pretending you're growing? If we trust him, we're growing. Are you abiding in Christ, or are you walking in the Spirit? It's not automatic. We have to tap into the power that God has given to us and be an overcomer of all the peace dealers and tumult creators in our life. Look, it's not easy. I'm not saying this is easy. Take it from somebody that has the gift of worry, okay? I can go into this thing. I can make it up. I can make it up as I'm going. I know your feeling on this, but I also know that there's victory with this. If you walk this out, you do not have to be a victim. You can be a victor. These tumult stealers, we all have them. You're not alone. So why not change our thinking, change our focus to the main thing and that he is coming, everything is going to be right, he is in control, he's the alpha and the omega. Trust him and hear these words, be still. 
Calm your heart and be still and know that I am God. An anonymous author wrote this about peace. I love this definition. Peace is the calm of mind that is not ruffled by adversity. Now, if I was writing this, peace dealers and tumult creators, not ruffled by adversity, overclouded by a remorseful conscience, or disturbed by fear. God's peace screams at us, be still. Be still. Calm your heart. I am with you. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Calm your spirit. Do not be overwhelmed. I'm going to finish with this. This is an author unknown, a little short poem. Just apply it to your life. Lord, keep me still. Through the stormy waves, those stormy waves may blow, and waves my little boat may overflow, or even if in darkness I must go. Oh, Lord, keep me still. The waves are in your hand. The roughest seas subside at your command. Hear that. Steer my boat in safety to land and keep me still, O oh Lord, keep me still. As we go through life, may we focus on the main thing. He is coming and be still and know that he is God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word, the word of God. Thank you for the hope that this gives us. Thank you that through all of the tumult of life, and Lord, we have to admit that it just comes in waves, one thing after another. Sometimes we feel like we're drowning. Oh, Lord, keep me still. Keep the boat from going under. Only you can do that. We place our trust in you, our God. May we not just be hearers of this, but may we appropriate it. So when the next test comes, and they will come again and again, until we're taken out of here. May we walk in the peace and the grace that you have afforded to us. May we hear that voice, that still, small voice. Don't go down that way, Rick. This is the way. Walk in it. Be still and know that I am God. I've got you. I'm holding you. You can trust me. Thank you, Father, for this teaching today. In Jesus' name. Amen.